and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from my home in the greater Chicago area. In this special episode of IRI Growth Insights, recorded on May 29th, 2020, we're discussing COVID-19 and its impact on the CPG and retail industries. For daily updates on consumer reaction, real-time data on product categories, as well as insights and implications to the CPG retail industry, I encourage you to visit IRIWorldwide.com to see the IRI COVID-19 dashboard powered by IRI Liquid Data. At the same location, you'll find a number of COVID-19 reports that provide valuable information across countries, categories, and channels. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights, COVID-19 through the consumer lens. Today, I'm joined again by my partner in crime, Larry Levin, who serves as Executive Vice President within IRI's Market and Shopper Intelligence Center of Excellence. Today, Larry and I are going to be talking through a lot of the amazing consumer research that we've been tracking week after week throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, Larry. Hey, Joan. How you doing? Great. Thanks for joining me. So today, we've kind of mapped out a couple things that we want to talk about or we want to pull out of this data. Um, that actually Janet Roth has really been leading for these past months. Um, She's done such a phenomenal job. But we want to dig in a little bit and talk about some of the consumer behaviors that have changed, some of the perceptions that have changed, both around the pandemic itself and now some of that economic fallout. Um, So let's jump in. And Larry, tell me what you're seeing Um, in the data in terms of how people have changed their kind of emotional or visceral response to COVID-19 over the past couple months? Yeah, Joan, first of all, it's great to be visiting with you today from Southern California. And uh, sometimes I feel like we live in a bubble. I'm spending a lot of time in Beverly Hills and uh, see lots of people out and about, but uh, more and more people getting anxious to get out. And I think that's that parallels the U.S. economy and the U.S sentiment. Um, you know, as you and I have talked many times, it's really fascinating to see the number of people from the onset that thought this will be a short-lived issue. I think from a from the healthcare healthcare scare perspective, back in March when we first started talking to the US consumers, we saw about a third of consumers thought this was not going to last any more than six to twelve months. Today Frighteningly, 75% of Americans think this is going to last from at least four months to well over a year. And that's just the healthcare side of it. And, you know, I wonder as we see markets opening up, like Texas is opening and everybody seems like Texas is trying to establish a new normal with no masks and, you know, almost an Alfred E. Newman mindset of what me worry. how will that affect the long-term feel that this is only going to get worse? I, I don't disagree because we've got that data, but I, I do get a sense that 
people have kind of adopted a new regimen. You know, that people have decided they have made changes to their shopping behavior. They have made changes to how they're cooking at home, um, some of the habits that they've changed. So I feel that that even though people are like less worried week to week in terms of, you know, the degree or of concern that they have, that it's because they've kind of adopted a new way of managing day to day. Um, so would you agree with that? You know, clearly we're making all of our meals or most of our meals in the home. That was a huge shift. Um, to accommodate all that food, people are making fewer trips to the store. They're loading up. That hasn't really changed, um, you know, as, we've ca- as we came out of that huge stockpiling in mid-March. Um, we still, still people, people are still purchasing at elevated levels compared to pre-COVID. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and I don't see any consumers saying they're going to shift that behavior anytime soon. Even in the, the sentimental survey work that we're doing, a number of consumers still say that they will adopt on a regular basis click and collect and home delivery because yeah. they want to avoid the store. Maybe they don't, maybe they fear going into the store or putting the battle fatigues on that they need to go to the store really scares them. You know, whether I got a mask up, glove up, it's a, it's a lot that's got to be done. And, and I think that, um, you know, as you said, more and more people are cooking at home. I think, when we first started doing this, we found that about half of consumers said that they did 90 or more percent of their meals at home. Today, it's about 90% are saying they do 90 to 100% of their meals at home. And that is an albatross for the restaurant industry, perhaps, and an opportunity for food service within consumer retail. Um, you know, this this becomes... Big, big opportunity, I think, for retailers to provide easy to easy to cook uh, meals for people. That's why I think things like HelloFresh and Sun Baskets and a lot of these other home deliveries are are going to do really well, particularly around millennials, as you and I have seen in the research that we're doing. And there's still a lot of people who say you be my body shield when it comes to going to restaurants. You go to the first restaurant that opened up. <laughs> Tell me how it is. You and know, it, it's funny because there's like this term that I heard that I really like, and it's called COVIDians. And oh. it's, you know, about people who are, you know, gathering in huge groups and people who want to be the first out. Um, because the, the, the research that we've done, the consumers are saying, you know what? I'm going to wait a little while. Like they're very excited to have restaurants reopen. They want businesses to reopen, but for the most part, they don't want to be the first person in the door, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And and let's not forget who came up with the term COVID idiot. It was this idiot that came up with the term COVID idiot. But, um, well, but congratulations, no. Larry. That's an awesome well, one. You should trademark it quick. I, just like I should do cafeteria. So, <laughs> but no, it is interesting that, you know, obviously there's a faction of people who want to get right out there and can't wait to, to be the first to go to a restaurant. And there's plenty of others who want to hide behind that shield and let you go first. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, we're seeing that more than like up to 40% of people 
are going to wait a month or more after restrictions are lifted to start you know, shopping in non-grocery stores, um, to start going to restaurants, um, you know, going to gyms, um, hair salons, although fewer, I'll say that, this is interesting, um, just a third, so where we're at like half of people are going to wait a month to go to the gym, um, a th- only a third will wait a month to get their hair cut. So I guess that's been weighing on people pretty heavily. Yeah, um, we all know the stories of people doing their own haircuts or having people in their family doing haircuts. So there's, there's a number of people that I've seen who have had hairstylists come to their house and cut their hair. Yeah. Well, a trusted hairstylist, right? Right. And, and, you know, Joan, that correlates to a lot of the work that you and I do where we see a growth in, in home, do it yourself, professional services, Mm -hmm. whether it's manicures, whether it's haircuts, whether it's other things that, you might've gone, maybe I want my teeth whitened and I'm not going to a dentist right now to whiten my teeth. I'm buying strips to do my own teeth whitening. So we're, we're a resilient population and we are responding by figuring out ways to do things ourselves. Now there are some people come hell or high water, I'm getting out and you know, we'll see how that works for them. And that's, that's what I really worry about when we see, 70% of the U.S. population thinking this is going to go along, the healthcare issue is going to go a long time. Well, yeah. and I think that that kind of dovetails nicely, especially with those services and things also kind of staying in the home um, mm-hmm. into the economic element here, because we're coming into a recession right now. We have 40 million Americans, more than 40 million Americans who have filed for unemployment um, because of COVID-19. So this is even if we're even if we're anticipating that the health element of covid-19 is going to last you know up to a year the economic crisis is going to last even longer we have um 62% saying it'll be more than a year you know it's um 80% think it'll be 7 months or more that is so dreadful to think about. So I think that even as we come out of this, some of those same things that we're anxious to get back to, like haircuts, nail salons, the gym, maybe that'll put on, be put on the back burner um, simply because of economic um, concerns. You know, people simply can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's really frightening when you talk about 40 million people unemployed. And, and just think about that number, I think was 5 million when we started. So we've seen an eight time jump. We all know stories about people in our families and our friends who have been furloughed or completely cut off. And, you know, maybe the good news of restaurants starting to open is we're going to cut back into that 40 million that have been um, put on the sidelines, but it's really scary. And when you think about 40 million, that's 10 million more than live in the state of California. Can you imagine the whole state of California being unemployed? Wow. Something, I mean, when you, you and I love context, and I think that that's an important context to be thinking about. And another context that we can't lose sight of is just the fact that we have eclipsed 100 million pe- I'm sorry, 100,000 people dying of COVID-19. Yeah. That's 20% of the size of the state of Wyoming. I mean, it's just, 
you know, these, these numbers are, are scary. And, and what's really frightening when you think about the number of people unemployed is the percentage of people who are seeing, thinking they're seeing prices increase in store. I, well, they, they are seeing prices increase in store. That's right. Because you and I see on a regular basis the, the data that our partners are putting out about actual price increases. Our, our friend Ryan Stredney puts out data for us every week. And I think last week we saw a to- across the store increase of about seven, eight percent. Yep. We have on the, um, the COVID-19 dashboard, which is a great resource for anybody um, at iriworldwide.com, there's an inflation tracker and total CPG um, inflation is up 7% as of May 17th compared to a year ago. But there's some categories where it's up even more, like in frozen food, it's up 12%. Um, you get into the like the fresh area, fresh meat is up 11%, bakeries up yeah, 9%. Find fresh meat. Well, I think that there's, I think fresh meat is out there. Um, it is. It's just not, it might not be the cut that you want. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of people are experimenting with new cuts, trying plant-based meats for the first time. There's, there's definitely some disruptions, but I think that we are fortunate to be in a country that has ample supply, um, even if, you know, there are, like I said, disruptions. Yeah, but there's still plenty of examples of people seeing and feeling the fact that they can, that they're limited in how much meat they can buy. And, and I also wonder how many people in the U.S. are starting to worry about buying meat because so many of the plants have had their employees affected by COVID-19. But, you know, it's all these factors that just point to a long haul. And half of Americans think we're not doing enough. That number has been pretty stable. But it's scary when 48% of the U.S. population thinks we're not doing enough as a country to help people. And as we get deeper into the long tail of this recession, what are people going to do to feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel? Right. And and it's interesting because you and I talk about this all the time, the influx in growth in private label and both perceptually that I'm going to go find a store that's got good private label products to the fact that I'm trading from my national brand to a private label brand. It's, you know, these are, these are different times that call for different measures. It is. I think, you know, the, the last recession in like 2008, 2009 is a, is a really good example. And we've been turning to it a lot, like to learn some lessons from the past recession. Um, part of it is that, um, you, you know, people, uh, definitely turn to private label. Well, since the last recession, a number of retailers have really invested heavily in their private label um, programs. There are lots of tiered things, um, you know, with like tiers of quality, pricing, merchandising, um, even innovation. Like, so things have come so much further. And when you kind of bundle some, so many of these things together, um, click and collect and home delivery wasn't really an option. Um, it was very li- limited in our past recession. It's a new one now. People can really stick to their um, their lists. There's not going to be as much of a fear or a threat 
um, from impulse purchases, you know, for these people who are really living close to the vest. Um, they've got more private label. They've got more value tier options. We have more value retailers out there. Um, so I do feel that we're in a much better position now than we were then. I think that people are starting to see, we, we talked a little bit about like the inflation and the pricing, but there are other factors in there too that I want to touch on, you know, that people are buying larger pack sizes because manufacturers are really focused on just getting product out there and focusing on some of those fewer SKUs, but bigger SKUs. So there, that's a price issue there. Yeah, um, and, and I started it, big time recently shopping in, in one of my stores in Southern California where I noticed that General Mills had put some large large bags in Ralph's that I would have associated more with a Costco. So places like General Mills are adapting their supply chain to have bigger packages to accommodate the pantry stocking people are doing because people are shopping every two weeks. They're not shopping every week. And so instead of buying four or five boxes of cereal, I could buy a big lay down bag of cereal that almost looks like the same size bag you would buy in pet food. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's allowing and accommodating pantry stocking. And, well, and I think it's, it, and there's it's a lot of families that, you know, now that on the go breakfast isn't an option anymore. And plus even, you know, kids were home from school. Well, kids are going to be home all summer. Um, so that's not going to stop those behaviors. Absolutely. You know what I saw yesterday an ad for virtual day camp. Oh, I'm sure of that. A virtual yeah. day camp. Yeah. I mean, it's, everybody's got to innovate. And, you know, the difference between the recession in 2008 and, the, and where we're at now is in 2008, it was a one-tiered one issue in that it was a financial issue. Now we have a health crisis to go alongside it. Mm -hmm. so it changes. And, and I like how you talk about click and collect and um, delivery to home. But to me, one of the big opportunities and challenges is if you're the brand that makes the list, you could be there for a long time, but if you're the in, if, if you're the upstart brand and you want to subplant somebody, that may be a difficult challenge because once my list is coded, I may not change it. I may go for the same yogurt. I may go for the same hand sanitizer. How does the upstart brand usurp you as the as the incumbent? And it's going to be interesting to watch that happen. Well, I think that people are going to be looking for more from their store, um, as you said, because we're both hyper, like we have a heightened sense of personal safety and health. We also have a heightened awareness of our frailty economically. So yeah. it's interesting that people are reporting that, hey, they want to buy everything at a single store. You know, they want to just get in and get out. And that for now that closest store to their home um, trumps basically pricing. But how long is that going to last? Because in the last recession, people were going to multiple stores just to shop the deals, just to get the types of products that they wanted at the prices that they wanted to pay. Right. But again, they didn't face that battle, putting on the battle fatigues to go shopping. Now we've got to get all masked up and gloved up in order to do that. And 
to your point, will that preclude me from going on that treasure chest, uh, treasure hunt of stores to find what I want, and I will pay a little bit more to get in and out. I, and one of the most fascinating points you had a couple of weeks ago in our thought leadership was you're noticing that beauty had increased in food in a, in a channel that you would not necessarily think beauty would do, would, would have growth numbers. People were in their food stores. They thought, you know what, maybe I need some lipstick or mascara, or maybe I need some shampoo or hair conditioner. I'm going to buy it now. Even if I pay a little bit more, I'm going to buy it here because I don't have to go to another store and especially maybe channels where there's a perception that quote unquote sicker people might frequent. Yep. Yep. And it is interesting that people are looking for some of those safety precautions now in the stores, you know, that people um, consumers are looking for retailers where the staff has to wear masks, um, sure. where there's plexiglass between the cashier and the customer. Um, are those going to be behaviors that we really stick with? Um, there are other behaviors that people are already claiming. It's like, yep, I'm going to be, this is going to be part of my new normal. You know, things like as simple as washing their hands more frequently, um, yep. using sanitizer more often. And that kind of I think to your point speaks to what opportunities do these new behaviors open up for accommodating that? Like how can manufacturers, whether it's new products, new offerings, or even how we package foods today, that's going to support how, you know, hyper aware or heightened um, the, the, the level of concern is that consumers have moving forward. Yeah. Innovation is going to be rampant in our industry, whether it's to your point, like if, if I'm going to be washing my hands more often, how do soap manufacturers respond with, with, with soaps that have more lotion in them? Because maybe I'm going to fear that my hands are going to dry out because I'm washing it so much. The other thing is from a retail perspective, what, uh, how much more will we be, will, will we become a cashless society? I, I was at a smoothie shop in Beverly Hills the other day that does not want cash. It's Apple Pay or use your card. But we will we see more of a cashless society? Will consumers opt for a cashless society because they don't want to put their hands on money that's yep. going to change hands and, uh, and worry them? It, I even was on a call this morning where somebody was talking about Kroger test marketing uh, driverless cars to deliver groceries in Arizona. And, and so there's going to be more and more innovation from the manufacturer side to the retailer side to accommodate what consumers want in this overly used term, new normal. Yep. I mean, it is interesting because we've talked about this before, that the fact that manufacturers are calling their their assortments, you know, their production runs for the, like the, the biggest skews that they have. Um, that is very similar behavior to the past recession. But then, it, then innovation also like starts to kind of bubble up to the top to accommodate um, consumer, changing consumer needs. And there has been nothing like this pandemic in, uh, in generations, you know, since the Spanish flu of a hundred years ago. So it's, there's so much more and we have so much more technology, you know, just before 
COVID-19, if you went into a place that didn't accept cash, that was considered really elitist and, you know, classist. And it's like, that's, you know, for shame, for shame. And now to your point, this is what consumers are clamoring for, that they don't want to have to deal with cash. So um, you're absolutely right. The innovation coming out of this is going to be fast and furious. And there's nothing like, you know, trying to keep up with the consumer to motivate both manufacturers and retailers. Yeah, I think um, it's going to be really a whiteboard of opportunity. And I think we have to recognize something too, that consumers are very value driven. And you and I always talk about value for the money. And I think we both subscribe to the notion that value for the money doesn't mean cheap. And if I look at some of our new product pay setters, which a selfish plug for new product pay setters, but this is, we're about to launch our 25th year of new product pay setters. 5,000 products have been uh, awarded that status. But going back to the, to the, the last recession, coming out of that, we saw actually some product categories grow because consumers were getting some high value products like K-Cups, like Chobani yogurt, uh, a lot of do-it-yourself products that came into the market. And I will be watching with uh, anxious anticipation to see how manufacturers are going to respond in this new normal here. As you said before, more people are going to hunker down and do things at home. Will we see premium priced innovation that people will adopt and trade for that they're trading because they can't go or don't want to go to their favorite restaurant, to their favorite beauty salon. You know, again, innovation does not have to mean bringing something inexpensive to the home as consumers trade their dollars from point A to point B. Our, our time is uh, wrapping up pretty fast. This, this was a quick half hour because there's so much to talk about. Some fascinating data that we're learning from consumers. Um, and to your point, we know that this is both a health crisis that's going to go on for a long time. You, you keep using the word long tail, undoubtedly. Um, the economic fallout is going to be even harsher and longer. Consumer behavior is definitely changing. Um, in fact, I've of, often said, like, I feel like this must be how our grandparents or our parents felt going through the depression. You know, this is, this is a, a life changer. Um, but at the same time... One of those things where this generation of, of millennials and Gen Z and alphas will say, do you remember where you were during the pandemic of 2020? And hopefully they're not saying the pandemic of 2021, but yeah. we just don't know. But this is, this is life-changing. And is. You know, our generation of boomers always ask, where were you when President Kennedy was shot? This will be, where were you when the pandemic hit? Yep. But at the same time, this is an, an opportunity for both manufacturers and retailers to change the way that they're addressing the needs of consumers, just as those consumer needs are changing. Um, so it'll be, again, fascinating to watch how we pivot as an industry um, to give consumers exactly what they need, where they are, and when they need it. With an empathetic message. Yeah. Empathy, empathy is critical. Whether it's the manufacturer talking to the consumer or the, or the retailer talking to the consumer. Empathy is at the heart of all of this. 
especially the 40 million people who are left on the sideline. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, the loved ones who are still here um, after the 100,000 people plus have died. Right. All right, Larry, thanks for your time and your insight as always. And until next time, um, be safe. You too, Joan. Always good talking. Thank you for listening. Please visit IRIWorldwide.com to view the IRI COVID-19 dashboard and insights portal, where you'll have access to daily updates, in-depth reports, as well as observations and implications for the CPG retail industry. Please become a subscriber of IRI Growth Insights and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.